Ladies and gents, welcome to my first episode back uh, for Abe Thompson and other disappointments since going away on holiday three times. Get me. Uh, went camping last month. <laughs> Sounds impressive, doesn't it? Until I actually peel back what's really gone on. Uh, went camping last month uh, in gale force winds. That was fun. That was fun. Um, and then we went to stay for a week with some friends in Warrington, which I think I mentioned in the very brief moment that I was back. Did a podcast for you. Uh, so that was fun. Um, and then just last week, we went on a proper holiday, as it were. Yeah, a proper one. <laughs> I mean, not look, it, it wasn't a proper holiday. It wasn't exotic. There were no international flights uh, involved, that sort of thing. Like, it was a week away. It was staying in accommodation. Well, I don't know. It was a, you know, caravan park. <laughs> somewhere in the Isle of Wight. So, you know, it was nice. It was nice-ish. Um, not so much a holiday as a financial tornado tearing its way through my wallet. But it's fine. It's fine. Somehow I will recover. We got through the remortgage. <laughs> for better or worse. By hook or by crook. So if that's possible, anything is possible. I, I can get through this. I'm confident. Right, so what's in the news, man? Let's let's get into this. Find my bearings. Let's get back into the podcast thing. Uh, let's go. Should we try and keep it purely political this week? Um, so I, I saw a thing in the news uh, this morning that there is a possibility, a strong possibility, uh, that Rishi Sunak's car was bugged by China. <laughs> So there's that. That's that is a thing. What do we make of that, guys? Um, I mean, in in the small amount of prep that I do for this show, I like I did notice when I was I was looking through some things about it uh, that even though this was talked about again this morning uh, or last night, perhaps uh, this is something that actually erupted earlier this month. Like this is about three or four weeks ago that this first came up. Um, so it, here it is, right? So ex-conservative cabinet guy, ex-Tory leader, in fact, Ian Duncan Smith, he says he was reliably told that the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's vehicle had to be stripped for fears of security breaching recording and transmission devices. And this is covered in an article uh, by Adam Forrest, credit where it's due, uh, in The Independent, by the way, just in case you're curious, if you want to go and Look it up or, or whatever. And it's under the headline. Uh, it says China tracked Rishi Sunak using a device hidden in car, says ex-Tory leader uh, Ian Duncan Smith. IDS, we sometimes call him. IDS went on. He said, although they won't admit it, China, he means, uh, tracking where the prime minister was going, knowing who he was seeing. This is exactly what they can do with batteries and with their cars. Well, OK, fine. And it says that the eye reported it in January that a government car had to be dismantled after they found a hidden tracking device on that as well. And I think the reason that this story is interesting to me is because it kind of it speaks to the idea of this like dwindling global influence that we have here in old Blighty. You know, it's like here we have a country that used to run the world you know we're we're always told that shit aren't we by people like ian duncan smith 
He's very much of that ilk. That sort of hat-wearing, blitz-obsessed kind. Like, you know, like, if you sat him down after a roast dinner and you put a film on, <laughs> like, it's a wholesome scene there, you know, just IDS with a full belly full of roast beef. It's a Sunday. He's letting his dinner go down. I reckon if a scene in the movie came on where there was a spitfire in it, I reckon he'd crack one out. <laughs> like, the movie would become porn for him. That's the vibe I get from him and the rest of those Brexity clowns. Your Marc Francois. All of that lot. Anyway, so we're always told how we used to run the world, you know? Most of Parliament seems to operate in that sort of, you know, drunk on British exceptionalism kind of vibe, doesn't it? Everyone has dismissed the concerns of Brexit and the cynicism with which the, you know, people like you and I, perhaps, we look at slogans like global Britain and we're like, global Britain, like, are you joking? Like, we've just left this big trading block, you know? And the dismissive, uh, the dismiss dismissions, the dismissive tone that people take when we talk about the problems with Brexit, you know, leaving that global power of the European Union. And they dismiss our concerns with that. I don't know. I just think the fact that we can find a tracking device, you know, spying devices, illegally attached or integrated into our prime minister's car. And like, not only... Is it not a big thing in the media? <laughs> like, who is actually talking about this? Like, we're all still anger wanking over the Spanish FA guy, are we? And 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 Wilco's redundancies and Prince Harry or whatever. Like, not only is it not a big thing in the media, but also geopolitically. Right? Like, it's like, what do we actually do anymore? When we're effectively being attacked like this, you know? And it's not just a Brexit thing, you know, like, did we did we go to war with Russia when Russia murdered Litvinenko <laughs> in a Piccadilly sushi place? Like, did we even name Russia when they offed the guy and zipped him up in a holdall? You know, we didn't even name, we didn't even say, oh, that was Russia. They did. No, God, no. We just brushed it under the carpet and pretended that our own spy was into self-asphyxiation or some shit, you know? Like, what did we do when they tried to murder the Skripals? What happened then? I mean, you can say it was a major diplomatic incident, if you like, and I can remember a few details offhand. You know, I think it probably started and stopped, though, at, like, you know, sending a few embassy staff home or whatever. Like, that's, that's basically what happened. Isn't it? And then what did Theresa May? She did her like um, her very cross headmistress thing <laughs> for a few days afterwards. Like, that was it, though, wasn't it? She stood up behind a podium. She was like, we know what you're up to. And we are watching you. It was something like that, right? But did we go to war? No. Did we really treat it seriously? Absolutely not. And now we have this latest incident. Adversarial states installing spying devices into our prime minister's car. 
And we're not even doing anything? <laughs> we're not even going to talk about it? And the reason I say it's funny, you know, in the context of the Brexiters and, and the British exceptionalism and all that, is because, like, what clearer examples could you need of Britain's dwindling influence, our wilting power, <laughs> than the fact these superpowers, you know, your Russias, your Chinas, just walk into the UK and do as they please. And then when we do find out about them, you know, or or rather, you know, when Whitehall failed to keep something embarrassing under wraps, when it does come out, we just, what do we do? We just stand there, neutered and powerless, like a, like a unit at the orgy, you know? <laughs> it's like, guys, guys, they've, they've just come on to British soil and they force-fed this guy a polonium sandwich. And they're just like, yeah, um, I guess, I guess that happened. You know, like, that's the extent of it. <laughs> well, are you going to do something? Uh, no, no, ab absolutely nothing. And like, I'm not saying we need to go to war with countries who put spy stuff in the PM's car, but, but it's a bit weird. That it's not even being treated as weird, isn't it? <laughs> that in itself is a bit strange. No? Like, I mean, he could be talking about anything in that car. Literally anything. There could be recordings of him saying what's going to happen when the oil runs out. You know, there could be tape of him confirming the nuclear codes to somebody there could be audio of him listing his working class friends well no okay okay maybe not anything <laughs> let's let's not get too fantastical but honestly like how do you how do you look at our responses to the Skripals thing and now the chinese bugging thing how do you not like how do you look at all of this and not go wow man we are just a strutting peacock you know, on the world stage. That's that's all we are. How do you not look at that and say that? We are just... I don't know, man. Like, someone comes into the country, slaughters this guy or that couple, and what happens? What actually happens? It's, it, it cools relations a bit, doesn't it? That's, <laughs> that's what happens. That's all that happens. I guess that's probably what's going to happen now, isn't it? The spy stuff. It's just going to cool relations a tad. I mean, cooling relations is what I would do, right? If a prospective suitor doesn't read the news. Like, I would cool that shit, you know? <laughs> like, you seriously have no idea what a VIP fast lane is? Like, really? And my, my date would be like, I'm sorry, do, do you think talking about some nonsense in Downing Street is is eternal? Do you is this is this your chat? Is it? You know, it'd be a it'd be a bad match, you know. God, like if I was single, I'd be a fucking nightmare, wouldn't I? But yeah, anyway, cooling relations is something you do if you just quietly want a bit of distance between you and someone else, someone it's not gonna work out with. You know? I'm not sure it's what you would expect from a foreign state 
when they action an act of war on sovereign soil, you know? And it's funny. It's so darkly funny. Like, all the Brexity talk of sovereignty. Do you remember all that? Sovereignty this, sovereignty that. We've got to regain our sovereignty, guys. And then these guys just wander onto domestic British soil. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, that's fine. Just, yeah, do, do as you please. Treat it like it's your home, you know? But it's even worse than that, isn't it? Because, you know, what's actually happening now, today? Why has this story suddenly bubbled up once more? Well, it's because our foreign secretary, James Cleverly, has flown to Beijing. And he probably won't mention a word about it <laughs> to his counterpart, will he? He just won't. Like, do we really think he's going to broach it? Do we? You know, like, just think about the weight of power, the power dynamic between us. Right, you've got the UK, population 65 million. Then you've got China, 1.4 billion. <laughs> bit, bit uneven. You've got UK GDP is 3 trillion. 3 trillion. You've got China... 17 trillion. You've got a UK military budget that's 45 billion. Ooh, that sounds that sounds a lot, doesn't it? China's annual military budget, not 45 billion, 176 billion. The UK is desperate for trade deals. China is about to become the world's biggest economy. Like cleverly is going to walk in that meeting like fucking, like, you know that scene in Braveheart? I don't know if you remember this one, but like, it's so darkly funny, this scene in Braveheart. It's the thing where um, King Edward, I want to say, I think it's King Edward, is talking about, he's talking about some military problem that he has, the King of England. And his son is in the room with him. His son has a very effeminate but chatty friend who's always possibly a gay lover that's sort of alluded to there. I don't know. I got that kind of vibe from them. Anyway, and the chatty effeminate friend is a little bit too <laughs> overconfident, a little bit too chatty. And he basically starts talking to King Edward like he's like, well, you should do this, you know, or maybe maybe we could do that, you know, and he's like he thinks he's on a conversational playing field level. With this king. And then the king just sort of like calmly, like he's, you can tell he's not really, like the king just asked him a question. He just goes, oh, all right. Okay, that's that's really interesting. And, and, and could you just, could you just tell me if you could just uh, advise me then? What, what would you do about, and then he just lifts him up and throws him out the fucking window to his death. That is the dynamic of cleverly in a room with China right now. <laughs> we are not in the driving seat. We are not on a level conversational playing field. We're just not. However much these weird blitzy bellends think we're in some Britannia rules the waves movie, you know, with a with a pot-bellied IDS wanking over the Spitfire scene. Like, it's just not the case, I'm afraid. That is not the reality that we inhabit, dear listeners. We are very much a tiny little island 
of expiring relevance. We are a bit part extra in a movie about China and Russia and India and the US. Like This is the cruel irony, really, of all of this. Is that it's the people who cling on to this idea of, you know, rule Britannia and Churchill and all that. They can't help but propel the tadpoles into the threads of their boxes at the thought of a, a titan, world power, Britain, running and ruling the world, you know. And yet it is their pet projects and total incompetence that is seeing the precise opposite of that shit from happening, you know. Thanks to their projects, we are now a dwindling influence. And the longer we take to reverse this, the worse the damage is going to be. It's like, it's like Tony Blair said, like in that interview. I think, I think I've quoted him before on the podcast. But, but he said in this interview, he was like, you know, we have a choice of where we want to be in this world. And that choice is to either be part of a geopolitical block that has power and influence through military and trade, or as a standalone island that gets pushed around by the geopolitical blocks. Like, it really is that simple. We can either rejoin or very, very closely align with the EU, or we can remove ourselves from the table entirely and have none of that unity and strength, you know? and then have to deal with the consequences of going it alone, cut adrift. And the consequences of that will inevitably be that we become about as influential and powerful as, as what? As a dainty 19-year-old boy who's getting butt-fucked and passed around the prison wing by all the different prison gangs. Like, I'm sorry if that sounds harsh. I'm sorry. But veteran listeners will know, like, this is a show about disappointment and ranting and uncomfortably vivid metaphor. <laughs> that is the USB hit. But that is where Britain is headed. We are currently on a geopolitical trajectory that will see us welcomed into D-Wing by four bloated, angry prison gangs. And each one of them will be looking at us like a piece of meat they can't wait to push around and have their way with. That is where we're on course to. Anyway, what else is going on? Let's, uh, let's take a look, shall we? So here is another story uh, that I thought was, was maybe worth a mention. Um, Sky News are running a thing about artificial intelligence and musicians. Uh, it says, ministers told to sit up and take notice over concerns about AI being trained on artists' work. Mm. And for those of you who maybe aren't quite, you know, so familiar, um, there is a new, like, as in, in, in the last year or so, maybe two years, uh, there's a new way of producing music. And it's gotten quite popular among some corners, like in the, in the internet and stuff. It hasn't truly gone mainstream yet, but it will do. Um, but it doesn't come without concerns and potential downsides, this new way of producing music. So, artificial, I'll start from the top, right? Artificial intelligence. Everyone knows broadly what this is. You know, we ask 
ChatGPT questions. It sends us back answers. We ask it to write an essay. Uh, it sends us a 25 paragraph piece that's almost indistinguishable from a person's actual writing, right? Equally, you know, we upload images and videos and we, we have trained these apps to, you know, to track our movements, our eyes, where they're moving. It's, it's AI, right? It's working these things out for us. It's making our lives easier in theory, you know, but obviously there's concerns with each of these areas um, because the idea is that, you know, by it writing an essay, arguably you are no longer doing the work, right? Maybe if enough of you can do that, maybe you don't actually kind of need a teacher anymore, I guess. And maybe if you can upload a video of someone and turn their face into a devil or a dancing banana or something. Like if you needed to do that for an advert, you could just get an Adobe add-on to do that for you now. Like you'd need fewer graphic designers and fewer After Effects editors and so on. And so there's this hit to the employment sector that's coming. But for a lot of the time, the get out card with all of this has been what? It's been like, well, you know, learn to code, which <laughs> which I can tell you now, like as a programmer, GPT is actually pretty good. You know, like so the idea you can learn to code your way out of the employment scrap heap is kind of redundant in itself. But the other one was always like, well, you know what? People will just have to be more creative, won't they? <laughs> you know, like you'd you'd pay to listen to a woman singing, right? You'd pay to watch a movie that was written by this guy about his heartache that he suffered or his granddad who died when he was a kid and he was sad about it and wrote this big humanizing, affecting piece, you know, you would pay to see that. But a robot couldn't write a symphony, could it? And a robot couldn't do, you know, to, to channel that whole iRobot scene, you know? But actually now, as of like the last 12 months, we are in this era of Python programmers and, you know, developed applications and just now like just web interfaces. And these things are just trained on existing, like pre-existing material old albums, old songs, and audio, and vocals, and they just churn out their own shit. You know, like, it's mad. It's so jarring. Because it totally drives a stake through that whole idea of, like, well, you know, people will just have to be creative then, you know? And now here we are in, you know, knocking on the door of autumn 2023, and there's been... AI songs based on Nirvana. There's been AI songs based on Eminem with almost perfect vocals and brand new choruses. And so you think, you know, like what was it a few years ago? Like maybe 10 years ago, there was that uh, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg performance at Coachella, right? And it included a hologram of Tupac Shakur. I don't know if you guys remember that. And that had some AI vocals on it, pre-produced new audio that sounded indistinguishable from Tupac Shakur saying like, what's up, Joe Coachella, you know? And now I'm like, well, it's been a decade. You know, it's not like technology will have gotten worse with that. It's going to have improved, right? 
Like, there's going to be holograms of dead musicians now and perfectly produced audio of them. And it won't even be a sort of, you know, quote, live performance of their back catalogue the way it was with Tupac at Coachella. Like, now it's going to be entirely new songs written by AI in the style of Tupac Shakur or in the style of Elvis Presley. And here's where it gets really problematic. Because you could sort of justify it if you're giving the morning fans of Kurt Cobain like a brand new Nirvana album. Like they're not going to be able to get that anywhere else, are they? The guy's dead. He blew his fucking head off. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to ruin your day if you were, <laughs> if you, if you were just getting into them. <laughs> Spoiler alert and all of that. But, you know, if you're a massive Nirvana fan, as I am, and you kind of feel like you were robbed of more of that guy's incredible music, then something like AI could do you a pretty decent job of maybe filling that gap, you know? Just kind of defensible, if you like, in that sort of scenario. But it's going to get so much worse, man, because living artists, right? Like, fuck, fuck your Kurt Cobain's, your Nirvana's and Elvis Presley's for a minute. Living artists, like your... You know, Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan, right? Or Eddie Vedder. Or I don't know, you know, some teen starlet. Whoever the new 17-year-old Mickey Mouse pre-drug habit pop star chick whose fans cannot wait for her next album is. You know, whoever that is right now, she's going to get mauled by AI. You know, gone are the days where Britney Spears would bring out an album and then her fans would wait like, you know, two years or something like for the follow-up. Now they're just going to go, oh, well, she's just, it's just taking too long, man. <laughs> You're going to go on like AI for like $2.com. Have your own Britney album in three hours. It's insane. And I wish I could say like I wouldn't be a part of it. But honestly, like, like fans of bands and like of real music, quote unquote real music. I know I sound like a pretentious fuck when I say stuff like that, but just, you know, you know me by now. Fans of real music are going to be just as bad. I know I will be because like we're going to be like, hey, Pearl Jam, you know, guys. I mean, like, I really do love you and I've bought I've got all of your albums. But frankly, Eddie's voice is getting a little bit crackly nowadays, you know, and you take fucking seven years in between the albums now. So I, I hope you don't mind, but I'm just going to pay Warner Universal or whoever the fucking label is. I'm just going to pay them $9 and I'm going to get a perfectly written, equally catchy classic. And because the labels have the artists over a barrel anyway, like I wonder, I wonder how many of the bands would be actually able to stand up to the labels, you know? Are they going to have any bargaining power at all? <laughs> they have less bargaining power than James Cleverly in China today. But like we've already seen, here's the thing, right? We've already seen the Motion Picture Artists of America Union or, or whatever they're called. We've seen them try to push back against the studios, right? The movie studios doing something very similar with actors. I did an episode about this a, a few weeks ago. The movie studios are like, Whoa, oh, hey, 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 like, oi, oi. Actor matey, oi, just, just sign here. This is your new contract. And the actors are like, oh, well, well okay, well, what does it say that's different? And the studios are like, 
Well, it says that we film you on screen once, we pay you $300, and then we can use your face in whatever the fuck we like forevermore. It says what? I'm not signing that. <laughs> like, it's going to be like that. But with music, isn't it? It's going to be like, hey, new up-and-coming K-pop group, sign here. You could be famous. You know, and the kids are going to be like, well, um, what, like, what, what, what does it say? It says that, uh, you all sing 10 songs solo into, uh, this, this machine over here, and then uh, we could use your voice in the AI modeling, and, and then we'll pay you 300 bucks. Oh, uh, and we could use your faces and voices to sell t-shirts and backpacks for the next five to 10 years. You know, and they're, they're just going to be like, well, you know, I, I guess it's better than not being famous like at all you know at least at least this way i'm i'm famous and i have 300 bucks you know like established artists are gonna have to compete with ai versions of themselves you know classic rolling stone albums versus their new fucking nonsense <laughs> like who is seriously looking forward to the new elton john album is it gonna have an i'm still standing on there is he going to have a tiny dancer? No, of course not. How is Elton John going to compete <laughs> with whatever his new album is with an instant classic based on his classic material? He's just not going to be able to compete with that. So established artists are going to get screwed. New artists are going to get mauled in their contracts. And anyway, look, this, this piece on Sky News is sort of... Um, uh, it's sort of like drawing attention to that. It's covering the Culture Select Committee, which has said the UK government needs to sit up and take notice. It says uh, the committee chair, Dame Caroline Denineage, probably not pronouncing that correctly. Um, Dame Caroline. We'll call her Dame Caroline. Dame Kaz. Uh, she said the government must now start to rebuild trust by showing that it really understands where the creative industries are coming from and develop a copyright and regulatory regime that protects them properly as AI continues to disrupt traditional cultural production. So, like, what do you guys think, dear listeners? Because I'm going to be honest, like, I don't know if the government are best placed to regulate on this. I think it's sort of, like, aspirational of Dame Kaz to hope, to ask nicely that the government sit up and take notice of the creative industries. You know, like, do we really think the Tories are going to give a hoot <laughs> about the creative types? Uh, this, this is a government, or rather this is a party even, who were warned like how many times about the decimating impact on the music industry here, on the live industry? That would happen like if we exited the EU, but they pressed on anyway. They mocked and ridiculed anyone that suggested that once we left the EU, that there would be some sort of reprimand or it would be to our detriment. You know, this is the party who dragged their feet, kicking and screaming. When theatres and labels and venues, everyone begged them to help sustain them through the pandemic. You know, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I just cannot imagine the Tories giving a King's Cross fuck about what happens to artists as a result 
of AI. In fact, if anything, I think the fucking Silicon Valley Sunaks over here <laughs> would, would absolutely side with the big tech enterprise of it all, you know? It's going to be like, yeah, yeah, Rishi, listen, uh, there's there's some songwriters over there and um, and there's a few actors um, also who they're, they're concerned that this new breed of technology might rob them of their livelihoods. They they have a concern around. Uh, right. OK, so so could you could you provide some reassurance to them, like maybe stress that you're you're going to regulate businesses so they can't exploit artists or you know, have the modelling learn from their earlier work and then these guys, you know, they don't get paid for it also. Right, well, I mean, the thing is, the thing is about that is uh, the, the economy's in a hole um, and, and we are, we're, we're desperate to see growth. And I'll tell you what, we have tried absolutely everything except rejoining the single market. But obviously we can't do that. I mean, could you imagine the red faces if we had... So anyway, I'm sorry, but listen, in a few months or years there's going to be a few corporations here who are going to want to do this and if a few corporations say that they can save money and increase profits pay a few quid more in tax and contribute to growth then i'm i'm gonna have to let them do that you 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 fucking what prime minister yeah i i wish i could do more but honestly my hands are tied you your hands are tied you're the fucking prime minister you daft cunt well yes yes but but of what you know, I mean, you, you said it yourself. We're, we're a strutting peacock. We're a... Uh, what was it again that you, you said earlier? We're, we're a dainty, effeminate 19-year-old boy getting butt-fucked and passed around the prison wing. Right, but I mean... Aren't you worried that you're going to piss off the theatrical and, like, you know, artistic community? Like, I mean, you, you pissed off the environmentalists and they covered your house in black. But you're down in the polls. You, you really want to alienate more of your own citizens. Really? Oh, don't be ridiculous. I am quite capable of defending myself and my house. I've got I've got some of the finest military minds in the world behind me. Isn't that right, lads? Isn't that right? Ian, oh, for God's sake, Ian, put the hat away, turn the telly off and stop wanking. Guys, that's it. I'm out. That's all I've got time for tonight. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast, as indeed I hope you've enjoyed all of the other ones. Please do consider grabbing a ticket for my live show, that's happening in London, in Shoreditch, at the Book Club uh, on the 28th of September. If you're not in a position to attend that one, um, either come along to the Riot Society. That's me, Super Tansky, uh, Danny fucking Price. That's on the 10th of November. You can get tickets to either one of those shows if you go to funk-27.co.uk. That's my website, uh, funk27.co.uk forward slash shows. Uh, or you can Google Riot Society. You'll probably find it that way. Um, or, you know what? If you can't go to either of those shows, jump on the Patreon. Super cheap. Starts at £3 a month. Uh, it's patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson. That's it for this one. I've got to run indoors because my kids are going crazy. Stay safe. Keep it booge. Until next time, I'm out this motherfucker. Oh.